Hello friends, I am Michael Woods, the Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut, to the very first ATC Double Cut of calendar year 2023. And I am going to talk about some of the most interesting turfgrass things that I captured on camera last year, some of the most interesting photos that I saw last year. Before we get into that post, I want to remind you that there are regular updates about all kinds of turfgrass information that I post on my website at asianturfgrass.com. Last year, I think there were about 68 blog posts, something like that. And there are a few other pages that are new. But in general, you could expect something new uh, it comes in spurts, but sometimes it's three per week, sometimes it's four per week, sometimes it's one new update every uh, every two weeks or something, things that I think are worth sharing, and that's what I talk about on this show, but sometimes it's good to read it, and if you are interested in looking at some of this reference material that is hundreds of posts now, so it's not just the new ones, but sometimes you'll find some of the old material might be useful. You can find that at asianturfgrass.com. I encourage you to check that out and use the search feature on that website to find information on a wide range of topics. I want to remind you also that paceturf.org has a wealth of turfgrass information, even more than you'll find on asianturfgrass.com. And on paceturf, you'll find information that has a similar focus to what you'll find on the Asian Turfgrass website, but even with more detail, especially about pest control and about uh, turfgrass diseases, turfgrass insects, and weeds and that sort of thing. So in addition to turfgrass management, you'll also find pest control information there, which is quite useful. And there's a photo gallery. There is a lot of in-depth climate analysis or site-specific weather analysis also. Subscribers to the PaceTurf website, which is only $275 a year for full access and a site-specific climate appraisal um, for your location. That is the annual fee if you want to be a Pace Turf subscriber. So I would encourage you as you start off 2023 to check out both the Asian Turfgrass website and the paceturf.org websites to find uh, a tremendous amount of information that can be used as decision-making tools. Basically, it's decision support information for turfgrass management. Now, to jump into the post that I'm going to talk about today, I will put a direct link to that in the show description. This is a blog post that I did at, uh, at the end of the year or at the start of this year, and it has a title of Flights and Favorite Turf Photos of 2022. This is something that I found interesting to do. I, I think I did the first one in, I don't know, 20, 2015 or 2016. I, I know that I certainly did one for 2017, and I've been doing it almost every year since. I think I've done the favorite turf photos almost every year since, but I didn't do the flights. I didn't make a flight map or bother showing one for 2020, I don't think. Certainly, I did not do one for 2021 because I just did not have a very interesting flight schedule in those years. 
and when I didn't, uh, I didn't have such an interesting flight schedule or go so many places, I didn't see such a variety of turf grass in those years. And um, I was excited this year to be able to travel again, to travel to so many different countries and continents around the world and see so many different types of grass. So I start off by showing my flight map, which had me going to Europe a few times, going to New Zealand, to Japan, to multiple countries in Asia and to different parts of the United States. So that flight map was uh, 56 flights. No, let's see, what was I this year? 71 flights. It was it was 56 flights back in two, 2019. In 2022, I took 71 flights and that covered 221,000 kilometers or 137,536 miles. I only wish that those could all be on one airline so I could get all of the, the miles on that one airline. But uh, generally, uh, I, I fly with what is going to work best for the destination that I'm going to. So that was my flight map. I enjoy making that. And uh, this episode, because I'm showing pictures, I'm going to have to try to be very descriptive for those of you who are just listening to this, but this might be one that you'll want to check out on YouTube or just go to check out the blog post and see these pretty pictures because I think these pictures are interesting and they may spark a thought or two about some turf grass management issues at your facility. So I, I uh, start off by showing the flight map and then I jump into the photos. The first photo that I chose as one of my favorite turf photos of the year was from, actually it's a capture from a video that I took. I was at the Catalonia Championship, which is held at Camiral uh, Health and Wellness, formerly known as PGA Catalonia. And I was taking a video at sunrise and the staff member who was coming out to cut the cup uh, walked out onto the green and started cutting the cup. And I realized, wow, what a beautiful sunset that, uh, sorry, sunrise that was. And so I took a, uh, a video of that. And the picture is a nice picture too, because my new camera shoots in 4k. So I believe I was shooting that in 4k, which is a pretty high resolution. And so the picture looks okay. Also, now these greens were superb. And this was at the end of April. It was at the end of April in 2022. And the thing that's really, really interesting to me, the reason why I went all the way there to be present at the tournament that week, and I've written a blog post about it, and I've got another video about it. So you can see uh, some information if you're interested. But this was a tournament on the DP World Tour, the European Tour, that was held on very short notice. It was held, uh, I believe, with just two or three months notice because there was another tournament, uh, perhaps in China, perhaps in Japan. I disremember exactly how it went, but there was a tournament that was scheduled to be played and they could not hold the tournament because of COVID restrictions in that country. And so the tournament was rescheduled to be at this venue. Now, I think when you're coming out of winter at a busy golf resort and you have to host a professional tournament on the DP World Tour on two months notice, 
and it is winter going into springtime, you have absolutely no time to improve the conditions because there's not enough uh, warm temperatures for growth. You just can't, you wouldn't be able to do it. And so the, the turf, the course playing conditions need to be extremely good to begin with. And I expected that they were, and I wanted to go see for myself, and certainly they were, and I'm impressed uh, at, at how good those conditions were. And so I, I was so glad to be able to capture a couple of photos that sort of show how that is. The next photo uh, was some wild grass. I'm always looking for what's growing wild in the different places where I am traveling around. And I saw on a stunning piece of property just north of West Cliffs in Portugal, some uh, St. Augustine grass, or as it's called in Australia, buffalo grass. And uh, the scientific name is Stenotaphrum secundatum. This grass was growing wild. Now, I had previously seen this grass, to my surprise, on a hotel lawn in the Algarve. And I was looking for Kikuyu grass, and I was looking for Bermuda grass. And I saw those, but I also saw some Stenotaphrum growing there. And then I was also in Porto, uh, in a, a bit north of West Cliffs, and uh, I saw on a hotel lawn in Porto, there was also some stenotaphrum. So I, I think it's interesting to see in these transition zone places where you can have both bent grass growing, you could have poa annua growing, you could have ryegrass growing, and also you can find these warm season grasses. So I like to see uh, which grasses are growing when and where they're growing and what's growing wild. Now, obviously, this is a warm season grass that's growing wild in this unirrigated, sandy, rocky soil on the headland looking out over the Pacific Ocean. And it is um, it is a stunning to be botanizing. Then uh, the next picture I chose was from an amazing historical place in the turfgrass industry that is still an active uh, turfgrass breeding facility, which is the Georgia, uh, I don't, what is it called? I mean, maybe it's an agricultural experiment station or a uh, University of Georgia campus at Tifton in Georgia. And I, I think anybody who manages turf around the world will have heard about grasses like Tiff Way and Tiff Green and Tiff Dwarf and uh, Tiff Way 2 and Tiff Sport and Tiff Eagle and so on. All of these grasses that have the Tiff in the name because they were developed right there in Tifton. Before the Masters in 2022, I took a road trip through the American Southeast and I had a chance to stop by in Tifton and see the breeding program there, see the zoysias that they're working with, the Bermuda grasses that they're working with. And um, there is a garden. I, how would we call that? I, I guess I would just call it, yeah, I would call that a grass garden where just lined up I think this was actually in chronological order. It starts with one that I, I hadn't really heard of before. I think it's called Tiff Lawn, which was developed in the 1950s. And then it, there's a plaque. So you've got these grasses growing. This is the like the original material that would be called Tiffway 419 from 1960. So the, this is a picture of Tiffway, Tiffway 419 with a 1960... Um, 
1960 written on the plaque and it just goes from grass to grass to grass all of these famous grasses and if you go back to the source these are um these are what they are so if if they are going to take uh some tifway 419 and start a new tifway 419 uh foundation field and then a production field this would be the material that they could start with then uh, back to Thailand, back to Thailand. I, the next picture I show is a sawed delivery being made to an Island in the Strait of Malacca in the Andaman sea on the West coast of Thailand. So that's the Indian ocean. And there are a lot of resorts out on those islands and those resorts have lawns and those lawns are planted with sod and that sod is grown on the mainland and i have in the past been on a family trip and i was coming back from an island coming back to the port on the mainland and out of the corner of my eye and i didn't have my hand, camera in my hands but out of the cor corner of my eye i saw there's a boat that boat has grass on it and i looked again and the boat was just passing by going in the opposite direction on my left side and it was loaded down just covered in um these small pallets of zoysia matrella manila grass and i thought wow that would make a great photo but the boat was speeding by and i had a child in my arms rather than a camera and i wasn't able to get a picture of it and i heard this year about a small delivery of saw that was going to be made to uh, plant some grass around a swimming pool a new swimming pool that's been installed at the resort of um at a resort that i've stayed at and so i thought okay uh, what's the time of the the drop off what time is the pickup truck with the sod going to be dropping that off and loading the boats uh and and sending that out because i wanted to get a picture and a video so i did that there's a video of that on my youtube channel about this delivery and the picture that i chose is one uh, i chartered a boat to go out alongside this other boat as it started making the uh sod transfer out to the island and that's the kind of thing that i just think is so interesting about what grasses are going to work because we've got here we've got issues of uh you'd want it to look good on a resort you, you don't want the grass to look uh scruffy so you want it to look pretty good but it's going to be maintained by people who are not uh professional turf grass managers it's not like a golf course or a sports field uh it's just people who are resort employees who may not be uh landscape experts and so you want to use a grass that can work well and it's going to be splashed with swimming pool water it's going to be um it's very close to the ocean so it may be uh, sometimes affected by sodium or other salts and it is also in a place with a pronounced wet and dry season and it's also grown in a very sandy soil so it may suffer from drought stress and salinity and 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 so on and this type of manila grass the nuan noi variety of manila grass is used all throughout thailand and other parts of uh of southeast asia and it works really well although i think there are some even nicer varieties that one could use and that's something that actually I've been doing a tiny bit of research about. The next photo 
is one that I really like, and it's one of the few non-turf grass photos. There's not a speck, not a blade of turf grass in this photo, but it is quite related to turf grass in a way because this is a picture I took from a visit to Brookside Labs in New Bremen, Ohio. Brookside Labs is one of the world's premier soil and uh, water and plant testing laboratories, largely soil testing. And these are crucibles that are used to measure soil organic matter. And there are so many of them because it just sort of shows the scale at which this work is done. People have asked me over the years, Micah, uh, why don't you just set up your own lab? Why don't you, um, you know, why don't you just set up a lab in Thailand or, um, you know, we'd like to set up a lab somewhere. How, how can we get started? Well, the thing is, um, the, the equipment that you need to use, the, the equipment for a full service testing laboratory costs in, let's say it's going to be in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to have the proper equipment to use. And the way that that, uh, that you can pay the way that you can pay for that investment in all of that equipment is to run a lot of samples and large laboratories in the USA are able to run a lot of samples. And this is, uh, I think each one of those trays will have 40 or 60 or 80 or a hundred crucibles on it. And there are a large number of crucibles on trays on shelves in this picture. And it just, I, I think it's kind of cool. And I love getting these data. These data are, are so, so useful to be able to know what the soil organic matter is. That's one of the things that I recommend testing for a regular soil. I think you should know what the soil pH is. You should know what the soil organic matter is. You should know what the soil phosphorus is, and you should know what the soil potassium is. So those four things for a soil nutrient analysis, those are the four key things that I think are, are really essential. Stuff like calcium, magnesium, sulfur, micronutrients, that sort of thing is not absolutely essential. But I would find it difficult to make a proper soil test interpretation if I didn't know what the soil pH was or the soil organic matter or the phosphorus or the potassium. Back to Thailand for the next photo. This one's got a blog post too. This is a driveway. This is a driveway that I go running past when I'm at home in southern Thailand. It's not my driveway. It's uh, it's not quite my neighbor. This is about uh, three kilometers into a run when I head out the road in that direction. No, no, maybe. Gosh, I haven't been home for such a long time. I I I, uh, I can't remember how. That's I think it's four, maybe four and a half kilometers uh, from from my home when I just make a beeline out to this particular driveway. But it is one that I go run past multiple times per year because what this is is zoysia grass that's not mowed. It's zoysia grass that's unmown, and yet when you look at it, you can see some of it looks like the the uh, some some of it looks like a putting green some of it looks like a fairway some of it looks like an intermediate rough and some of it looks like that no mow zoysia grass that just forms waves and clumps and bumps that you never have to mow and this entire effect 
the entire difference in appearance of the grass is simply caused by how much traffic it receives. And that traffic is received in the driveway by motor, from motorcycles and from trucks and from foot traffic. So I, I think that is interesting because zoysia it perhaps shows this more than other species, uh, such a direct effect of rolling. Um, but I think a lot of turf grasses uh, would show something similar. If you have something that's completely unmown versus um, rolled so much that it dies. So you've got that whole gradient. Um, I've talked about this before. I've talked about it with Joe Galati. I remember we, we talked about this the first time we met in person up in Moncton. And I said, it's nice to, sometimes it's useful to understand how something may affect grass or, or how something may affect anything just by doing an, an ex, a thought experiment and taking the thought all the way to the extreme. And this photo shows that because it on one extreme, you have grass that's been rolled so much that it's an unsuitable turf grass surface. And the reason is because it's been rolled and has so much traffic that the soil is compacted and... Uh, that's where the tires go over it every day where the truck comes into park. So it's, let's say it's 50% grass, 50% gravel. That's an unacceptable turf grass surface. And we could say that's been, that it has been rolled too much. So that's one extreme. And the other extreme is also a completely unacceptable turf grass surface where it has been rolled not at all. And now the height of the turf is some. It, well, it's not turf anymore. It's like that no mow grass, and it's it's at a height of thirty centimeters or forty five centimeters or something, and it is completely unsuitable as any type of turf grass or lawn or any kind of sporting surface. But it would be nice to uh, hide in if you were a small rodent or a snake or uh, a monster that devoured uh, golf balls and kept them hidden forever. So that's the other extreme with absolutely no rolling. But in between, you can see that there is an optimum level of rolling at which you would never have to mow this grass and it would produce a perfect surface that would be similar to a golf course fairway. So I, I think that type of thing is really interesting when we can look at what's happening in nature and think about how that might uh, have some application to the types of things that happen on a golf course. The next photo is from southwestern Spain, and it is a photo that I took in, when was that? October or November. It was towards the end of the year, and the Rock of Gibraltar is in the background, and beyond that is Morocco. And this is some beautiful Bermuda grass on the fairways, and these were some very well-maintained Tiffigal greens at this golf course where I'd had a seminar. And this was just a, a beautiful afternoon after the seminar. And we had a nice discussion with everybody who came to the seminar and then out to see the beautiful grass. So that is, um, that is something that I thought was really beautiful. And another one that I thought was really beautiful is another island out in the Strait of Malacca in the Andaman Sea. And the colors of the water are really nice when the, when the sky is clear 
and there is wild zoysia growing there also. So this this is not the type, though, that was delivered by the boat that I mentioned earlier. This is not the type that's grown um, so so much in the nurseries. This one is. This is one called Yayipon, or in 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 Thai that would mean uh, something like Japanese grass, but. By that, they don't mean Japanese long grass or zoysia japonica. Uh, they mean a finer bladed type of zoysia. So this is like a zoysia matrella, but a slightly finer bladed one. And this is more similar to the grass that was growing in that driveway. This grass would be unirrigated and unfertilized, and it's just growing on sand. And it would be mowed infrequently. And this grass looks quite nice. And I like to see how it's growing, where the seed heads are growing, excuse me, what time of year the seed heads are uh, are sprouting up and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who, when they go around the world, they can't keep their eyes from looking at the grass. Speaking of grass and speaking of some beautiful pine trees and some beautiful light, um, one of the what I think, I, I think I've argued for this before that the most beautiful stand of Manila grass is on the lawns that are on, in between Tokyo Station and then going up to the Imperial Palace in Tokyo. This is a much larger bit of turf than I had realized, and um, I I don't know off the top of my head how many hectares it is, but it's quite an extensive stand of turf. And this is some high-quality zoysia matrella, which is a very common grass all throughout Asia. And this grass just looks uh, looks beautiful and green during the summer. And then it is just the most beautiful golden color when it's dormant in the winter. This particular photo was taken in September. So it had been raining and the grass was green. And I took this on a sunny day, and there are some expertly pruned pine trees growing in this lawn. And this is a very typical appearance for a uh, combination of Japanese grass and Japanese pine trees. So I enjoy seeing that. And every time I'm near Tokyo Station, if I have time, I try to get over there and have a look at those lawns. I saw something I had never seen before, which I'm showing in the next photo, which is a ski slope on top of a power plant. Now, from the photo, you can't really see that this is on top of a building, but I put a link in the blog post to a website where you can uh, click through and see um, about this architectural wonder this architectural marvel, which is in Copenhagen, Denmark. And this is a, uh, a power plant that incinerates waste, uses that to generate electricity. And they've got a, a ski slope that has these, um, like a, well, it's, it's that common type of plastic, material that you might put in high traffic areas and that plastic uh like those plastic blocks that will have holes in it to kind of uh protect the crowns of the plant so that the leaves can grow up 
in between in the holes, but that plastic material will kind of protect the the crowns from getting chewed up. So you you'll see this a lot in in uh, in Japan, for example, or in Korea, in between the cart path and the T. When when you've got a lot of people that would walk from the cart path onto the T, these type of walk on and walk off areas will often have this type of of plastic material. So those tiles, which in the the way that these tiles are put together and the way that this this uh, tile material is is a type of hard plastic that's pretty slippery. I understand that this that this one may, if I recall correctly and if I understand correctly, it it was made in Italy, and then it has fine fescue primarily growing through it, and so you've got this grassed ski slope on top of a building, and it is pretty steep and it has spectacular views of the Copenhagen area, and it was just really really cool. To, to be on top of a building and to see this ski slope. Then um, another one, another one that I'm showing now is sheep on a golf course in New Zealand. I had uh, heard about this, about these courses in New Zealand that don't have so much greenkeeping equipment, not so much greenkeeping staff, but they do have a herd of sheep or herds of sheep that do a lot of the mowing and trimming. And this course is the uh, Taihape Golf Course, which I stopped by in August on a wonderful tour of New Zealand. And I got a chance to see a lot of sheep out there on the golf course, which is pretty cool. I also saw some amazing zoysia invasion on a Bermuda grass green. I hope you check out this photo. There's two types of zoysia in this photo. This is a tiff eagle green. And in this tiff eagle green, it got invaded by one type of zoysia that has runners going out that look like some type of uh, sea monster with all of these tentacles with with 50 tentacles going out in all kinds of different directions. And then the other type of zoysia is not growing out in a pattern like with tentacles. It's just more growing out in a steady patch, like like it is a steady, um, I don't know, like it's just all expanding around the borders at a relatively similar rate. So I thought that's really interesting how these two different zoysia grasses that you really don't want zoysia grass invading your Bermuda grass greens, but uh, you can also see that the zoysia grass looks a lot prettier than the Bermuda grass does. So I talked about this in one of the YouTube videos that I did, uh, the second one that I did from Kea Golf Club doing a post-tournament review with Andrew McDaniel. In that video, we we took a look at some of the Bermuda grass. Uh, that's actually the opposite situation. So this photo that I'm showing here in the blog post, this photo is showing zoysia grass invading a Bermuda grass green. And Andrew and I took a look at uh, Bermuda grass invading a zoysia grass green in Japan. And in both cases, you can see that the zoysia grass looks better. The Bermuda grass doesn't look as good, but uh, the ball roll could be better on the Bermuda grass. So that that's kind of the balance that you have to decide is, do you want uh, 
Do you want the grass that may grow a little bit stronger, like the zoysia, in the Asian climate, or do you want the grass where the ball will, where you could more easily get a good ball roll? So that's something to consider. And then I also showed the lawn that I often see at a condominium in Bangkok, where this lawn is something like 15 years old. Um, and it would have been planted to that Noan Noi Zoysia And it's now transitioned to almost all carpet, tropical carpet grass, which is Exonopus compressus. And I really like that grass because it thrives in Southeast Asian conditions, especially with shade, and it has a lot of nice texture. And then I wind up showing another photo from Kamiral, this one with a uh, a morning mow with a triplex mower showing the nice bent grass greens there. And also, if you take a close look at the photo, you can see that this green is getting a double cut with the triplex um, by doing not a full freaky mow, but a half freaky mow. So instead of going uh, up and then going back on the exact same pass, which is what I would call a freaky double cut, this one is just doing half and then uh, half and then half and then half. So it's it's doing half of an overlap on every pass. And that if you if you think about that for a minute and kind of work out how that goes, that turns out to provide a double cut also. So I call this a half freaky. That is the blog post that uh, that I really like doing every year. I, I like to look through all of the photos and I like to have um, have have a thought about the year. I guess I, I probably spend uh, 30 minutes or an hour kind of scrolling through all the photos. Maybe not even that long. Maybe maybe I spend 20 minutes going through the photos and every year there will be some thousands of photos that I've taken and I like to see which ones I learned something from and which ones um, I thought were both pretty and educational. And then I'm so happy to share them. I also realized that I took too many of those pictures with my phone camera this year. I really like taking, I've always liked taking pictures since 2007 when I got my first uh, digital SLR camera. And I think that the lenses that I have with that camera allow me to take much better pictures than I can get with my phone. And now I've got a really cool video camera that I think takes really good video for the price, but I don't really like the types of pictures it takes. So I'm, uh, I have some repair issues. I need to, I need to get my digital SLRs fixed, but because they're also about, uh, 15 or 16 years old now, I start to think about buying a new camera, maybe a mirrorless camera, and using some nice lenses with that to hopefully get even better pictures in the future because I am so lucky to get to see so much interesting turf grass and I hate to be stuck somewhere with a, uh, with a phone taking pictures and when I think, wow, you know, imagine if you're, you're thinking this is the most beautiful bunker edge I've ever seen, <laughs> or, or, you know, this is the most, uh, this is the most beautiful and clear depiction of the beneficial effect of root pruning. 
for example. You you can imagine that where uh, you know you have drought stricken turf on one side and perfect turf on the other. And when I see something like that, I want to get a really good picture of it. And I, I want to get multiple pictures of it from a couple of different angles and, and perhaps a couple of different orientations and thinking, I can do a blog post about that, or I can share that in a presentation sometime, or I can somehow use this for reference to explain to people about the benefits of, of this practice or, or so on. And um, I... I would like to be able to do that with a, with a better camera. So I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't really do new year's resolutions, but if, if, uh, I do do shopping lists, so, or, or wish lists. So I, uh, I was recently in Japan and I took a look at big camera, which is one of my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite camera shop in Japan. It's a chain. And I took a look at some new cameras and I thought, wow, those are nice. And also a little bit out of my price range right now. So I'm trying to figure out which camera I'm going to get that will uh, satisfy the quality that I'm looking for while at the same time not costing more than a new computer. So anyway, thank you for your interest in these topics. I promise to be back again soon with another interesting episode where we'll talk about some more turfgrass topics. For now, I will be done with this episode. I will sign off for ATC from Bangkok, Thailand. I am Michael Woods.